Let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll read verses 4 through 11. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. I think it's interesting that right on the heels of the Christmas season, that we turn our attention to the idea of spiritual gifts. I mean, if anything is a part of the Christmas season, it's the giving of gifts. Which, by the way, I think you have 344 more shopping days left. Alright, just in case you're wondering about next year. I think that's about how many you've got. You know, the giving of gifts can be a tricky thing, right? It can be tricky. Maybe you're uncertain. If you're going to give a gift to another and they may give a gift back, is your gift like equal and say value and significance is the gift you receive? What's the nature of your relationship with someone? Do you need to be really thoughtful and creative in the gift? Or is a gift card good enough? Yeah, it's a tricky thing, right? To know how to give gifts. Now, this can become even more difficult when it comes to kids, and especially at Christmas time. Because what is it that is the obligation of the parents who are giving gifts to children at Christmas time? It better be equitable, right? In other words, it's not that every gift has to be exactly the same, as much as I would love to do that, right? It doesn't have to exactly be the same, but you better be mindful they better have about the same amount of gifts. And if they're not exactly the same, then at least the, the total pile of gifts need to be roughly of equal value. Otherwise, what are you going to hear? Hey, that's no fair. I wanted that. Why did he get that and I didn't get that? In fact, this can even happen something as simple as a piece of candy. Have you ever had this happen to your parents? Stocking, each one of them has a sucker and you made the, the mistake of making one a red sucker, one a yellow sucker, and the other one a green sucker, right? What happens? They're all the same. It's not like red food coloring tastes different than yellow food coloring, alright? In other words, it's all just a big block of sugar that makes you crazy for 30 minutes. But nonetheless, you pull those out. What does one kid say? Hey, I wanted the yellow one. No, fair, I wanted the red one. Giving of gifts can be tricky. This is a fitting image, by the way. Let that image kind of seep in. If you've ever been in a situation where you find kids acting ungratefully for the gift they've received, that's Corinth. That's what they're doing. This is yet another example of this church. This dysfunctional, broken, really on the verge, after reading this letter, you'd think on the verge of needing to just shut their doors and restart. 
Because these folks have found a way to fight about everything. Now granted, every church has their moments where they might have a tussle here and there. But this church seems to be fighting about everything. From the leader they came into the church under, to who knows more theology than others, to who got baptized by who, uh, to ethics, to who can do what in what temple, uh, to marriage and singleness issues, to what's going on at the Lord's Supper, uh, to people in different socioeconomic classes. In other words, if there's something to disagree about, this church has done it. And an underlying theme throughout the entire letter, disunity. Every single thing seems to be creating this atmosphere, this context of disgruntledness, of dysfunction. And so even though Paul began this letter in chapter 1 by saying, you have no need for any more spiritual gifts, you've got everything that you need, and yet this church is hardly in a place of health. And so now as we turn our attention to chapters 12 through 14, clearly one of the big issues facing this church is how spiritual gifts are understood, how they're being practiced, and really what's going on in Corinth It's how they're being abused. They're like a bunch of youngins. In in other words, you get into Corinth and here's what you find out. We'll see this as we read throughout. You know, back in the first century in particular, the folks with the big flashy gifts, healing, prophecy. Oh, and the guys who could speak in tongues. My goodness. They got the big chair at the table, all right? These These were the folks who were considered super spiritual. So two things were happening. The folks with the flashy gifts. The folks with the gifts that were like the gifts the apostles had. These folks were exalting themselves. They didn't mind the accolades. They didn't mind the attention. They didn't mind think, you know, people thinking that maybe they were just a bit more spiritual than everybody else. And then on the other side, those folks who didn't have the flashy gifts. You know what they wanted? Flashy gifts. Hey, that's no fair. Why does he get to speak in tongues? Why can't I speak in tongues? Why does he get to heal people? Why can't I heal, heal people? Why does he get to prophesy? Why can't I prophesy? And so what's going on in Corinth is the folks with the flashy gifts were showing off their gifts, and the folks without the flashy gifts were then pursuing the flashy gifts. As if they could somehow make themselves speak in tongues, have the gift of healing, prophesy. Clearly, this is the problem underlying the instruction that Paul's going to give this church. Because he's going to take three chapters to do it. I mean, this is a significant amount of space. Paul gives one chapter to the resurrection. He gives about a half a chapter to the Lord's Supper. He gives three chapters. He gives one chapter to marriage. Three chapters to spiritual gifts. Now, it's not to say that length says everything about importance, but that, that, there's an awful lot of material here. So, clearly, this is a significant issue. And I would argue that really just based on that, not just for Corinth, but I really think for any church. Because the topic of spiritual gifts, I think, can be really misunderstood. I mean, again, some people, when they hear spiritual gifts, perhaps that's what they think of. They think of the flashy stuff. Maybe some of you came out of like a charismatic Pentecostal upbringing. And so, when you think about spiritual gifts... You think about it in the context of pew jumping, right? 
speaking in tongues while people were praying. Have you ever been to one of these prayer meetings? Prayer meeting where the person next to you and the person in front of you doesn't sound anything like anybody you've ever heard before. All right, So that, that, that may be what people think of when they think of spiritual gifts. Or, or maybe your experience is more like mine. How about a spiritual gifts inventory? Anybody here ever taken one? I have. Some of you have because I've given them out here. All right, You're just not raising your hand. All right, Some of you have done it. That may be what we think of. So we've got this list of gifts, teaching, administration, service, hospitality, uh, leadership. You know, we, we have this list of gifts. We take a test, kind of like a personality test, and it's fun because you get to write a score at the end, right? And you, get to, you get to have this list, and, and you score really high in one gift, and you're all jazzed, this must be the gift that I have, and you're hoping you'll score really low in mercy so you don't have to be nice to people, all right? So this is kind of how some folks approach the idea of spiritual gifts. If I don't have it, if I don't score well on the test, I'm not obligated to it, right? Then you may have those situations where where there's a blurring of the lines between what's a gift and what's a skill. Are these the same thing? Is talent the same thing as giftedness? Because in one context, we do use those words almost synonymously, right? Somebody's really good on the piano, we might say, wow, they're really gifted. Wow, they're really skilled. Wow, they're really talented. And and in that sense, perhaps you could use any of those. But that doesn't mean that this is a spiritual gift. So what are we talking about when we talk about the spiritual gifts? It's important. Clearly it's important. Not just here in 1 Corinthians, but we have discussion about it. Romans chapter 12, we have it in 1 Peter, we have it in Ephesians 4. And on top of that, you read the book of Acts, and these gifts are being practiced regularly. So this matters. This is how God has decided the church is to operate. An important way in which we operate in an efficient, healthy, biblical way is in the context of our gifts. All right, and somebody may say, all right, I get it. Yes, I'm with you. So what does that mean? What are the gifts? How do they function How should I understand them in my life? How should they be working in the church? What about those flashy gifts? What about speaking in tongues? What about healing? What about prophecy? I don't know if you've noticed. Not a whole lot of speaking in tongues going on at Tabernacle. Is that our fault? Is that a problem? Is this something we should be promoting? Maybe next Sunday I should do a sermon on how everybody can speak in tongues. By the way, I've heard somebody preach that sermon before, interestingly enough. All right, So we're, we're going to dive into this. This is what Paul is going to do. He's going to discuss all this. All these issues are going to be discussed in chapters 12 through 14. So tonight what we're going to do, we're going to turn our attention to this. And what I like to do, because I'm certain what you all do is you go home and you read the text, right? Right? Yeah, I know you do. You don't have to say, I know you do. You spend all week reading the text. I'm certain of it, all right? So I, I want to make sure that you understand what's going on then in this section. So I like when we start a new section to give an overview. Now, before Christmas, we kind of dipped our toe in the waters of the gifts, all right? So I, I first, you know, did some in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where Paul kind of introduces it in verse 1, saying, now concerning spiritual gifts... And then he goes on to say, I don't want you to be ignorant, which, by the way, is an implied chastisement. 
I don't want you to be ignorant, parentheses, because you are. In other words, he's not saying, you already know this. He's saying, I'm going to teach you on spiritual gifts because I don't want you to be ignorant any longer. All right, uh, You guys have blown it in this and you don't understand what's going on, so I'm going to teach you about it. But before he then goes on to talk about gifts, he then in those first three verses makes one fundamental point. All of this, though, has as its fundamental uh, purpose uh, and the way we should understand it All of these things, all of the works of the Spirit, including spiritual gifts, are for one ultimate purpose, and that is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Not the exaltation of the gift, not the exaltation of the one with the gift, and get this, because I think this is the error of about, I don't know, 700 million charismatics. It's not the the gift, it's not the one who has the gift, nor is it about the Holy Spirit. You have to be careful when you listen to some of these folks because they'll make much of the person with the gift, they'll make much of the gift, and they'll make much of the Holy Spirit. But Paul makes it very clear here in verse 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And we kind of unpack that. Paul's point is to make it clear. The work of the Spirit and thereby of the spiritual gifts is always to the exaltation of Jesus Christ. To His purposes, the purpose of the Gospel, the edification of the church in the Gospel of Christ. The potential for that Gospel then to to go to the ends of the earth. It's always about Jesus. So, again, we kind of waded in those waters for a bit. What I want to do tonight to kind of give us a, an overview, all right, a flyover of chapters 12 through 14, I've not preached a sermon all year, all right? So I'm going to preach all of 12 through 14, then we're going to go back and preach it again over the next two months, all right? So, because, if, because again, if you look at it, and really, I, to me, I find this helpful, too often we don't read enough of a passage. We're kind of pigeonholed by verses, headings, paragraphs in our translations. Paul didn't write any of those. Paul didn't write headings. Paul didn't use verse numbers. Interestingly enough, Paul didn't use lowercase letters. Paul didn't use periods. Paul didn't use spaces. The original Greek text of all the New Testament was all capital letters without any breaks in any of the lines. No paragraphs, no indention. All right? It's just the way they wrote. They understood that. It was a manner of language they would have really recognized. So it's hard for us to conceive of this, right? So when we read a text, it's important that we get the text in its context. That we understand kind of the, the fullness of what's being said. Uh, that we, To use the cliche, we kind of want to have an idea of the forest. And then we're going to get an idea of the trees. Okay, So that's what we're doing here tonight. So Paul is going to make sure this church has a very clear understanding uh, of how the gifts operate by giving, in chapters 12 through 14, a detailed instruction, the nature and purpose of the gifts. All right? So only, only when we understand this, when we understand the role, function of the gifts, can we use them properly and then in turn be really what I'd call a healthy church. So, looking at how Paul lays out these chapters, note these five features. 
And you'll be able to fill in these blanks quickly because I'm going to do you a favor, all right? All of them are about to show up behind me. And so, you, the, the obsessive compulsive folks who love to fill in your blanks, let me give you a second. Go ahead. There they are, all right? So go ahead. Go ahead. Because some, some of you, I see it. I see it when I do stuff like this. You think I don't notice? I do, all right? Some of you got to write in all those blanks. What's funny, it's exactly what I would do. All right, so I'm chastising you, but only because I'm chastising myself, through myself, toward you. All right, so these five, I think, features give us a a, a pretty clear outline of what's going on in the text. Now, the outline would, would get more complicated, meaning it would fill out a bit more as I get further into chapters, especially 13 and 14. So this is what Paul's doing. He's giving us the purpose, the nature, the value, the context, and the function of the gifts. Now, verses 1 through 3, that's where Paul talks about their purpose. We already noted that. What is the purpose of the gifts? Jesus is the purpose of the gifts. And if at any point there's an expression of the gift that seems to be more about the guy with the gift or the girl with the gift or the Holy Spirit behind the gift, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. And by the way, it's not to say the Spirit shouldn't get some credit, all right? Because Paul's going to make it clear it is the Spirit. We read it. The Spirit gives the word of wisdom. It comes from the same Spirit. The Spirit gives the manifestation of the Spirit is given to all. All right? So it's not like he's not a part of it. It's just that's not the point. That's not the point. The giving of the gifts is for the purpose of the exaltation of Christ and His gospel. So, the purpose of the gifts. Now, then the nature of spiritual gifts. That text we just read, verses 4 through 11. Paul's then going to give us a, you know, kind of a quick hit here. And uh, it, we probably won't have time tonight, but if we did, this is what we'll get to next week. Uh, this, this breakdown here. And Paul does some interesting things with uh, Greek language. So, we'll work our way through it. The other thing Paul does, by the way, this is an aside, and I'll go ahead and give this to you, and I don't know if you picked up on it when we read it, but verses 4 through 11 are a great passage of Scripture. It's a great passage to go to. If somebody asks you, or somebody makes the comment, Trinity's not in the Bible. This is, this is one of those great texts. Paul's point is not to argue for or uh, give an apologetic for the Trinity. But do you notice what he did there in verse 4? Diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5. Differences of ministries, but the same Lord. That is almost always a reference to Jesus. All right. Then verse 6. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God. It's almost always a reference to the Father. And the name God shows up that way. So you have Spirit, Son, and Father. So Paul is going to give us a very robust view of the Trinity. And here's what I hope will happen next week and then maybe even the next. You, I hope, I pray, you will find out that one of the most practical doctrines in all of the Bible is the doctrine of the Trinity. You may think that's unbelievable. In fact, a lot of folks may say, ah, doctrine of Trinity stuff, yeah, we believe it. It's really interesting. I don't understand it. And so it's kind of for your high-minded academic types. So, we're, we're, we're going to show this is a great example. Keep in mind, is Paul writing to high-minded academic types? He's writing to the church. 
He's writing to the church. He expects the church to understand this. All right? So we'll get into that. But Paul, verses 4 through 11, Paul really lays out the basic nature of the gifts. Where do they come from? Why do we have them? Who's responsible for them? And here's what I love about this passage. It's going to make it very clear. Nobody's gift is a, is a, is a gift they can claim of their own power and ability. No one, no, one can, no one can stand in the practice of their gift and say, you know what, maybe I am the best thing since sliced bread. I mean, I am something. I listen to myself and think, wow, that is something. In fact, that text we just read shows clearly that the gifts land squarely in the sovereignty of God. Do you know why you have the gift or gifts you have? Only because God decided to give it to you. That's it. It's the only reason. There's no other reason. That's it. Because God in His sovereignty said, you're going to have this, you're going to have that, you're going to have that, you're going to have that, you're going to have this, you're going to have that. That's how He does it. It's under His control. So the nature of them. Then we're going to take a look at the value of spiritual gifts, verses 12 through 31. Paul then gives us the most famous image of the church. The church is a body. And he's going to take time to unpack what was a major problem in Corinth. Some folks thought that if you had the flashy gift, you were better than those who didn't. And so Paul's going to say, no, the church is like a body. Every part of the body matters. There are parts that may play a bit more of a prominent role. But nonetheless... If one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And, and, I, and I've used this illustration before, and many of you would understand this. Have you ever had a broken toe? Does that bother anything else if you have a broken toe? You better believe it does, alright? Is there anything they can do for a broken toe? Nope, alright? Not a thing. Not a thing they can do for it. Is it frustrating? Can it be difficult? Does it affect other parts of your body, other parts of your life? Absolutely. Now granted, it may not be quite as critical as a heart problem or a pastor falling and hitting his head on the pavement. All right. Nonetheless, it is still critical. All the parts have to work together. If one part doesn't, then all the other parts could suffer. So Paul lays out, it's rather intricate, it's rather detailed in this image, as, as a clear way to say, Every gift is valued. God gave it out of His sovereignty, and so He decided to place a gift in every member of the church. All of them then are important. And the church requires then the exercise of them all. This is why I would argue that one of the most, one of the most destructive and dysfunctional features of church life is having some kind of inactive role. Meaning there's some such thing as an inactive church member. It is a ridiculous concept. It is a ridiculous concept. That somebody can join a church, show up every couple of years, and still be considered members, to me, smacks of ultimate uh, betrayal in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't see how we can justify it. I don't see how we can justify it. That That there would be this sense in which the church is for me, Instead of me being for the church. But yet, this, this image is going to make it clear. Church is not about me. I should be about the church. 
We've got it backwards. Every person has value. Every person has significance. And just because you're not the one standing up in front of 400 people preaching doesn't mean you're not absolutely essential to the life and well-being of the church. Now, does that mean God can't still use a church imperfectly? Well, sure He can. He does it in every church all across the world. Nonetheless, to function at its most efficient level, we need to appreciate the value of it. Then, then, the, then the next one, that is the context. Number four, the context of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13. How many of you know what this chapter is? Say it. What's it called? No, you didn't say it right. The love chapter, right? Which is interesting, this, because this is undoubtedly the most famous text in 1 Corinthians. And perhaps top five in the Bible. At least this, this opening part, um, you know, go, going down to verse 8, verses 1 through 8. How many different contexts do you hear it in? You hear it in weddings, right? You also hear it in funerals. I've been asked to use it more than once in a funeral. Not to say it's not appropriate there. It could be, depending on who it is. Looking out at it, some of you, it's not going to happen. No, I'm just kidding. All right, no, it's just the head injury talking. All right, so I'm going to milk that one probably. I've heard it at graduations. I've heard it in all kinds of settings. Here's what's interesting, though. The setting, the context of the love chapter. Spiritual gifts and the church. And here's the other interesting part. As much as we talk about it being a beautiful chapter, and it is, uh, the poetry with which it's written has been recognized beyond, you know, Christians. Chapter 13 is recognized, uh, you know, as, as a great work of literature in and of itself. But Paul's point here in chapter 13, this may strike you as funny, but you read it all in context and I think you see it. He's chastising them. He's not being sweet and encouraging here. You know what he's telling them? Y'all are terrible at loving each other. That's what he's getting at. He's, he's, this is what he's saying. The church in Corinth has decided the flashy gifts are better. If you don't have them, you should have them. And those who do have them, you better respect better because we're more spiritual than you are. And Paul comes along and says, you've blown it on a number of levels, including loving one another as Christ has loved you. You all don't love each other. And that's his point here, to say you don't possess these things. In fact, then he finishes out that chapter by saying, and y'all are a bunch of children. That's what he means when he says, you should let childish things go. Grow up. find it fascinating. It's one of those examples of why it's so important to study Scripture in its context, because chapter 13 is really a statement almost of judgment. You all aren't doing this. This is why this church is not working. And, and given the context here, I think what Paul is saying is, then for church to function, for spiritual gifts to function, there must be this underlying context of Christ-like, unconditional love. Then chapter 14, he's going to work us through uh, what I've labeled as the function of spiritual gifts. This is when we'll really get into it, all right? So, you're going to have to wait for it, but eventually we will wind our way to dealing with speaking in tongues, healing, prophecy. And like I said right before Christmas, I'm not going to you know, make you wait in anticipation. If you weren't here then, uh, 
you should go ahead and know all my cards on the table. I believe those sign gifts have ceased. I believe they've ceased. All right. I, again, I, so I am what's called a cessationist. Now, does that mean that I believe God doesn't heal people? Well, that's ridiculous. Of course I believe God heals people. Absolutely He heals people. He just doesn't have people gifted with the gift of healing as He did in the New Testament to heal people. All right. So, yes, I believe in God's ability to do miraculous things. I just don't think He, by His Spirit, has given individuals in the church the ability to almost engage with these gifts at will. So, we'll walk through that, by the way. Because you can't ignore the fact that really one of the longest chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians deals with these miraculous gifts. So, so we will walk our way through this, and I will make my argument for being a cessationist. Okay, um, Though I will tell you about those who aren't. I'm not going to talk about the crazy people. All right. In other words, there are crazy people. And then there are people that I still respect, love the Word, good solid uh, exegetes of Scripture, know how to handle the text, uh, who um, disagree with me, who are wrong. All right, they disagree, all right, they disagree, uh, and they're solid guys, and so I, you know, we'll, we'll interject this um, in, in there as we go. But when we get to this chapter, we'll notice, though, Paul has a very clear idea of how these gifts are to function in the church. And even for those folks who may find themselves disagreeing with my cessationism, uh, charismatics have a lot of explaining to do when you read chapter 14. Because chapter 14 is going to be very specific about how tongues should be used in church. And there's not one charismatic church in the country that uses it this way. You may read ahead to find that out. All right? But not, there's not one I know of. All right? Now there may be one, all right? so don't hold me to that. That's a pastor speaking. You know how we do. Right? Sometimes we bloviate. All right, so, okay, there may be one, and there may be two, all right? But you know what I mean. By and large, uh, the way you see tongues practiced is nothing like what is described in chapter 14. Nothing like what's described here, all right? So, again, those who, they would have uh, some explaining to about why they do it the way they do. Because Paul's very concerned that the other thing that's going on here in Corinth is is the church worship service is, is a is a melee, all right? It's, it's, a, it's chaotic, uh, that, that all, all kinds of crazy things are going on. Paul's saying this, this can't happen this way. You can't run a worship service this way because it's, it's going to obscure the gospel, it's going to obscure the word, and so these things need to be done in order. These things need to be done properly. And so we'll work our way then through what the function of these gifts are. So uh, next week we'll dive into verses 4 through 11. Uh, talking some then about the nature of the gifts, uh, and, uh, and I, and I hope, hope this will be um, informative, instructive, uh, but ultimately I hope and pray that you'll then think about your own service and giftedness. Because I'll go ahead and say before we pray, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have at least one gift. The text is clear. You are gifted to serve Christ, His gospel, and His church. Just to give you something more to think about, how does it make you feel when you give a gift that you cared a lot about to somebody and they don't seem to care about it in return? I know that's tough, right? That's a tough question to ask. 
it's offensive, hurts your feelings. You put a lot of thought and care and concern into giving somebody something, and they show some kind of disregard for it. Is it possible that as believers we do the same thing with gifts that have been given to us by a triune God? So what, what is our gift? Are, are we committed then to, to living, serving uh, His church in light of the gifts He's given to us? All right, let's pray together. Father God, we thank You again for gathering us here tonight. Thankful for Your Word. And God, we do want to be submissive to it, obedient to what You have uh, described for us. We, we want to be faithful to You, to the gifts You've given to us. And so, God, we pray You'd give us wisdom as we seek to understand uh, how we have been gifted, for what purpose, where, where our places would be. And then, God, we pray that You would empower us to serve and, 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 and do so in a way that exalts Christ, His gospel, and it's all for Your glory. And I do thank You for all these who are here tonight. Uh, how, how encouraging it is to, again, be back with God's people. I pray, Lord, that each and every one of them would know Your hand upon them, that You would grant wisdom, grace uh, for the days ahead that they might live in faithfulness and obedience to you. God, we just surrender ourselves to you for your purposes. Use us for your glory and gather us back together again that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.